I want you to hear me clearly today. God is making a way for you. Maybe it's been a long time coming. And you might feel that God has forsaken you. That He's forgotten about you. You might feel that you had opportunities in the past that you messed up. So God is done and He's left you. But that's not true. Even the meaning of the name of the prophet we're going to read from today refutes that. The name Zechariah means Jehovah has remembered. I want you to know that you are one who the Lord remembers. He remembers his promises. He remembers his plans. And his eye is upon you. Zechariah was a high priest as well as a prophet. He was born in Babylonian captivity and he writes his prophecies about the same time as Haggai. Many of the prophecies that he writes can be challenging to understand because he's speaking to both current events and the future coming of the Messiah. But we're going to focus on two chapters of his writing. Chapters 3 and 4 of Zechariah. And we're going to focus on two leaders. They are Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel the civic leader, the governor. These men had led the first group of exiles back from Jerusalem, back to Jerusalem about 20 years earlier. Now you're probably familiar with their story, but you kind of have to read a number of different books such as Jeremiah and Ezra and Nehemiah and Haggai and Malachi and Chronicles to get a good picture of what was going on. As God promised after 70 years of captivity, he remembered his promise through the prophet Jeremiah to bring the exiles back to Jerusalem. And he moved on the heart of Cyrus, the king of Persia. And Cyrus issued a decree in writing throughout all of his kingdom. And it says, this is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. Now this is a pagan king. You have to understand this. This is a pagan king, but God moves upon the hearts of kings God moves upon the hearts of pagans. God moves upon the hearts of the hard and the indifferent. And the Cyrus, the king of Persia, says, The Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has appointed me. Cyrus is saying this. He's appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem and Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem and Judah... And build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. Isn't it ironic that a pagan king is moved upon to build a temple for the Lord? Then he goes on to say, it was almost like it kind of reminds me of the mafia type deal, a godfather or something. And he says, any of you Jews who want to go, you're free to go. But for those of you who choose to stay, hand over the silver and the gold because you're going to pony up a little bit. And then he also goes on to say, and and we're going to be taking up a few free will offerings to pay for the building of the temple. Then he goes to the treasury and he, he sends to the treasury and he gets the articles of the temple that had been carried off in the past when the people were brought into captivity. 
and he gives them back a total of 5,400 articles of gold and silver. My friend, I want to say to you prophetically, don't be surprised when the Lord starts bringing back the things that have been stolen from you. It might take 70 years. It might take 80 years. You might be old and barely walking. When God makes a promise to you, He fulfills His word. So don't be surprised. Do not be surprised when He starts returning to you the things that the enemy has stolen from you. When they get there, they settled in the land. And they build an altar and they begin to offer morning and evening sacrifices. Now there was opposition to this. There was threats to this. But they build an altar and they begin to, in the morning and in the evening, they begin to offer the sacrifices. The people brought offerings to the Lord and they sent for building materials. Building materials that they needed and then they hired carpenters and they hired masons. And they laid the foundation of the temple. And when they laid the foundation of the temple, there was both weeping and rejoicing. The older folks who had seen the previous temple in all of its glory, they were weeping and they were lamenting, they were crying, but the people couldn't tell the difference between those who are rejoicing and those who are weeping. And so these loud sounds of praise and also of weeping were ascending up to the heavens. So they laid the foundation, but after a period of time, they faced opposition to the rebuilding. Lies and accusations were made against them. The enemies of God often resist the work of God. If you've walked with the Lord any time, you know that. If you've spent any time serving the Lord, you know that whenever God calls you to do something, whenever He moves upon your heart to do something, don't be surprised by opposition. So the enemies of God begin to bring accusations A new king was in authority, and they began to resist the work and write letters and try to interfere with what God wants to accomplish. A new king was in authority, and so at a certain point, they were physically stopped. They were forced to physically stop, physically forced to stop the work. Now, if my memory serves me right, they were at a standstill, I believe, for about maybe 15, I'm sorry, I think around 18 years. That's just off the top of my head. But God starts after that period of time, and and Haggai writes about this same time. But God starts stirring the hearts of the prophets. You know, it don't take a lot. It doesn't take a lot for God to stir the heart of one man or one woman. It doesn't take a lot. But God began to stir the hearts of the prophet. And Haggai writes, and Haggai's a little more confrontational, a little more rough on the people. Haggai writes and says, hey, is it time for you clowns to be living in your paneled houses while the Lord's house remains in ruins? You know, they had built, they had settled in the land. They had built their homes. They had nice homes, a little jacuzzi in the back, a pool. You know, they're thinking about putting in a pool and maybe a gazebo. They were saving up to build a fire pit out back and water feature and stuff like that. They were saving up. The Lord's house remained in ruins. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Haggai, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon Zechariah, and he gave them a word from the Lord. Now, Haggai's word, as I said, was a little more confrontational, where Zechariah's word was really directed as a word of encouragement 
to these two leaders, Joshua, the high priest, and Zerubbabel. And God gives Zechariah a vision and a word of encouragement to both of them. In Zechariah chapter 3, if you'll turn there, God gives him this vision. And it says this, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Now he's showing him what's taking place in the spirit realm. There's times where God shows people what's happening in the spirit. There's things that we see in the earthly, but there's also another dimension. There's another realm of the spirit. And he shows him Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to encourage him. Is that what it says? To what? To accuse him. Satan standing at his right hand side to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. Zechariah sees what's taking place in the spirit realm. Joshua, the high priest, was being accused by Satan of unworthiness for his office. That's what the enemy does again and again, friend. Some of you, you give in and you listen to the lies of the enemy. You've listened to them one too many times. You've listened to them one too many times. The Satan, Satan is continually, what is his his title? He is the accuser of the brethren. That's what he does. But the Bible tells us that Jesus is our intercessor. And that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. So every accusation that Satan makes about you or against you before God, Jesus just just sticks out his hands and he sees the nail prints. And he's reminded that Jesus' blood has covered your sins. And so as he stands there, Satan is making these accusations of his unworthiness. But the Lord comes to his defense and rebukes Satan. He goes on to describe Jerusalem, which is represented by Joshua. Joshua is the high priest. He stands before God on behalf of the people. He describes both Jerusalem and Joshua as a burning stick that's been snatched from the fire. It was God who brought them back from the exile by his power and for his glory. So God was the one who rescued them. The first thing I want you to see here is this idea of purity. Joshua is dressed in filthy clothes. And an angel gave orders to those nearby to remove his filthy clothes. He says, see, I've taken away your sins. It's not just Joshua, friends. Joshua is standing as a representative for Jerusalem. 
He says, God's saying to them, see, and this is what's happening in the spirit. You got to understand this. This is not happening in an earthly level. This is in a spiritual level. He says, see, I have taken away your sins, not just the sins of Joshua, but he's also removed the sins of Israel. Aren't you glad today that there is one who has removed your sins away from you? My Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions against us, and they will never, ever, ever, ever be remembered against you again. Friends, some of us have a horrible past. Some of us have things we're ashamed of, we regret, we weep over, we mourn over. But my God does not remember them again because he has covered them with the blood of Jesus. So do not allow the enemy to accuse you. Don't allow him to point a finger at you. Don't allow him to bring them back up because the blood of Jesus has totally and utterly obliterated them. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions against us. So he removes their sins and Joshua was given clean clothes and a clean turban for his head. Friend, you and I have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The prodigal son was brought home. He was given a robe. When you and I came home, we've been clothed with the robe of righteousness. That turban on his head is our minds have been renewed. We now have the mind of Christ. We have a new way of thinking. Joshua had a complete and total wardrobe change. Joshua then is charged by God to walk in obedience on a personal level and to fulfill the responsibilities of his office. He's given a promise. If he does this, he will rule God's house and he will have, listen to this, he will have access to the court of heaven itself. For he says, I will give you a place among those standing here. Who were the ones standing there? It wasn't George the plumber and Bill the mason and Larry the carpenter. It wasn't them. He was standing amongst the Lord. He was standing amongst the angels. And he says, I'll give you a place. I'll give you access into this level, into this realm, if you will walk with me. Can I say to you as the church that God wants you to get out of, he wants you to get out of down here low. He wants to take you into a higher place with him. He wants to reveal to you and show you things of the spirit that you have not ever experienced yet. And he promises this to him. If you'll walk in obedience to me. If you will follow me, if you will obey me, you'll rule here, but I'll give you access there. Verse 6, the angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you'll walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I'll give you a place among those standing here. Like I say, he's not talking to the truck driver. He's not talking to the mason guy. He's not talking about the carpenter. He's talking about the spiritual things. Listen, high priest Joshua, you and your associates are seated before me, who are men symbolic of things to come. I'm going to bring my servant the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that stone. 
And I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord. And I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. And that day, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. Now, there are several messianic promises to Joshua and his companions. The terms servant, branch, and stone are all familiar Old Testament designations of the Messiah. I'll remove the iniquity of that land in one day. This was basically assurance of the divine cleansing of Jerusalem, its priests and its people. God can do something in one day. He can intervene in a person's life in one day, in one moment, and transform everything. But the words are most significantly applied to the atoning work of Christ, the work that Jesus did upon the cross. The second point, we talked about purity, and now we're talking about a pardon. I want you to hear me clearly. There was one who 2,000 years ago bore your sin and mine on that cross so that we might be forgiven, so that we might experience a complete and total pardon for our sins. What a powerful, encouraging word to Joshua, the high priest. Because Joshua is concerned about the spiritual. He, once again, he's the high priest. He's concerned about the spiritual things, the things of the spirit, the things of the heart. Zechariah also has a word from the Lord. See, a lot of times people have a word. But I'll tell you what, a word from the Lord is worth waiting for. A word from the Lord is worth spending your time for. A word from the Lord is worth sitting and one word from the Lord changes everything. And this was a word that would break them out of their activity. It was a word that would encourage and empower them. I believe it's the word of the Lord for you today. Friends, you might be facing opposition. You might feel like you are stuck. If you are, I want you to listen to this promise. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Once again, they're facing opposition. God called them and he provided for them and he sent them back to rebuild the temple. And you have to understand this too. The rebuilding of the temple was central to their worship. Okay, It was when this is built, when this temple is rebuilt, it was the central part of their corporate worship. It was so important. It was symbolic. It was, it was so powerful to this picture of them not only be returning to the land, not only going back and rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, but the crowning achievement is the rebuilding of the temple. Okay, And so... As he gives them this word, as I said, it's from Zechariah to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is the governor. He serves in a civic leadership position. And they've waited. They got started. And Zerubbabel was there when they, he heard the word of the Lord. They laid that foundation. They laid that beginning stone. But it's been 18 years. As I said, maybe you've been waiting on something for a while. Maybe you feel like you're stuck. Zechariah 4, verse 6, so he said to me, this is a word of the Lord to, this is a word of the Lord to Frank, this is a word of the Lord to James, this is a word of the Lord to Mike, this is a word of the Lord to Paul, this is a word of the Lord to Joe, this is a word of the Lord to Terry, this is a word of the Lord to Tara, 
It's not by might. It's not by power. But by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, O depression? What are you, O fear? What are you, O bondage? What are you, O addiction? What are you, O sickness? Whatever your mountain is, what are you, O brokenness? What are you, O poverty? Whatever your mountain is, he speaks to that mountain and he says, It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. What are you, O mountain, to stand before Zerubbabel? You will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstones to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. The capstone was the finishing touch, the completion. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. And his hands will complete it. Then you'll know that the Lord has sent me to you. Who dares to despise The days of small things, since the seven eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hands of Zerubbabel. Following the promise to pardon comes a personal promise to Zerubbabel. Obviously, Joshua must have struggled with feeling worthy to carry out this task. They had started and he probably heard those accusations in his head and in his mind. He just didn't know completely where they were coming from. As he would sit in his bed at night and he would contemplate what he was supposed to do. I'm sure he would have heard those accusations about him that he was unworthy. And who was he to lead these people? And who was he? Who did he think he was? And Zerubbabel must have had those moments and times when he said, God, I thought I heard from you. I thought you spoke to me. I thought you said you were going to build this temple. God, I thought you said. I thought I heard from you. I was sure I heard from you that you said you were going to restore my family. That you said you were going to save my child. That you were going to deliver me from this opposition. God, that you were going to lift this heaviness off of me. But maybe I didn't hear. And so the word from the Lord, from Zechariah, he comes and he gives a specific word from God for Zechariah. And he says that capstone, you're going to see it. You're going to see that capstone and everyone is going to rejoice when they see that capstone. And then he says this, don't despise the days of small beginnings. What he's saying to you is that those days in which it seems like not much is being accomplished. Those days in which it, you know God told you, but man, the progress is moving slowly. It's it's slow going. It's hard pushing. Following the promise God makes to Zerubbabel, the monumental task of the rebuilding of the temple will be successfully completed, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Let me remind you, it was the spirit that hovered over the waters at creation. In Genesis chapter 2, God endowed people with life. By breathing into their nostrils the breath of life. The word for breath is the same word translated elsewhere for spirit. God breathed into man. He was a dead body, but God breathed into him his spirit. It was by his spirit that man came to life. 
throughout the Old Testament, the Spirit came upon certain judges and warriors and prophets in a way that gave them extraordinary powers. For example, Joshua, Othniel, Gideon, Samson, and Saul. The Spirit also departed from Saul because of his disobedience. And that's why you and I have to be walking in obedience to the Lord. We must walk. If we want to see this power of God displayed in our lives, if we want to experience things in the spiritual realms, we have to be walking in obedience. The Spirit inspired holiness in Old Testament believers. The Scripture promised that someday God would put His Spirit in His people in a way that would cause them to live according to His statutes. An angel told the Virgin Mary, That she would have a child. And she said, how can it be since I'm a virgin? And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Friend, it's the Spirit that exalts Jesus. It's the Spirit that convicts us of sin of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and of the sure judgment to come. It's the Spirit of God that regenerates us. It's the Spirit of God that lives and dwells inside of you and me. It's the Spirit of God that seals the believer. His presence in your life is a mark. It's a down payment of what is yet to come. It's the Spirit that guides us. It's the Spirit that gives life to our mortal bodies. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us. He says, you will receive power when the Spirit is poured out. And you'll be my witnesses. Can I assure you today that God is doing a work in you? And He has made a promise to you. And it is not by might. It is not by power. But it's by my Spirit says the Lord. Father, go with your people today. I thank you. You said it, God. Amen.